Welcome to this edition of Pastor Potluck. I'm Court Green. And I'm Peter Constantian. And today we are joined by friend and colleague Gordon Pike. And Gordon is a friend of the show. He has been on the show before. Have you been on since we've been a podcast or was it just radio? Just radio. Okay, so it's been a while, but we love Gordon and Gordon is here with us. He's got an interesting story. And more importantly than that, for our purposes, he is the local guru on the verses that we are going to be in today. So, Gordon, I will let you introduce yourself once more to our listeners, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, I'm not an expert, but anyways, uh, my name is Gordon. Well, he already told you my name, but uh, I'm pastor at Beaver Dam United Methodist Church and uh, First Canton United Methodist Church. That's all there is to tell? Yeah, for now. All right. Well, we'll get into it. We'll unpack the story as we go. Uh, yesterday in our local weekly meeting that I did not attend because I was busy with other things, <laughs> Gordon was the leader for the day, and he led the group through some verses. And by the way, we've been doing other topics lately, but today we're going to mostly focus on the Bible and the lectionary readings that we found there for this week. We are going to turn our attention now. Oh, by the way, Peter, are you going to be cool reading this, or you want me to read it? Or? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Uh, Gordon could read it if he wants. But we are going to start with Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9. So, Peter, if you are willing, go ahead. Yeah, let me just start by saying about the lectionary group that this group has been uh, amazingly supportive for me as I started off in ministry. It's a group of, uh, I don't know, I guess like... Usually, regular attendance can be anywhere from four, but we have, uh, at, I think, probably at least ten people We've involved. 10. When they all get together, it's like twelve or so. Yeah. yeah, and just like most other people in the world, we've had to adapt to the, to the virus, and we've been meeting on Zoom. Uh, we're looking forward to an end of that, hopefully, in the near future as more and more of us receive the vaccination. But, uh, yeah, I'm just very grateful for... The, uh, the community that we have here that spans multiple denominations and in the in the Haywood County area. Before you read, I want to chime in to that. Um, because you, you put a qualifier yeah. on how helpful they were to you because you're starting out. Yeah. Well, I've been in this game for a while, and I couldn't do it without them. Mm. And, you know, I'm almost to the point where I would say, not that I'm planning on leaving anytime soon, but were I to go from here to another church somewhere else, then... I would want to make sure there was some group like this first before I would agree to go to that place. Yeah. Because they've been exceptionally helpful. And I'm going to take this and make it less about us around this table and more about the general person. Whatever it is that you do in life, you should find a group like this who mm. understands what you go through and supports you because you're you, whether they agree with you or not. Yeah, it, it's incredibly helpful. We have a support group. It's essentially, I mean, yeah. yes, we talk about the Bible, but I think for most of us, certainly for me, having this group of people around you that take care of you, mm. that listen to your junk as you pour it out there to the only people that you know understand what you're going through, because they are too. Mm. It, it follows the model of many other support groups, but it wasn't intended to be that way. But it is, and so. I'm thankful for them and recommend to the general listener that whatever it is that you do, or if you're retired, you know, whatever your interests are, find someone who can relate to those, whether they share your interests or not, so that you have 
an ally mm. to whom you can uh, emote, I guess. Share. That, that understands you. <laughs> yeah. Okay? So uh, it's it's incredibly beneficial. So. Gordon, you got anything you want to say about the lectionary group before we read the scriptures? Well, it's going to tie in, actually, to what we're talking about okay. in terms of having people around you uh, and I've enjoyed it. I've, I didn't have that before, but like you said, I, I will make sure to maintain it because it is more than just a Bible study. It's allowed us to share what's going on with each other's churches, and it's just good to have other pastors to talk to. Ministry resources, we've been able to teamwork together. It's just something that I've experienced nowhere else than the whole yeah. of it. So. All right, well, let's take a look at the community of the Israelites, uh, the Hebrews, uh, on their way through the wilderness, and we're coming to you from Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. Is that correct? Yes. All right. Listen now for the word of the Lord. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people became impatient on the way. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent poisonous serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord to take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a poisonous serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. So Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it upon a pole. And whenever a serpent bit someone, that person would look at the serpent of bronze and live. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Peter. If you don't mind, I'll start us off with a question. I'm going to pose it to you, but Peter, you can jump in if you want to. Gordon, when you were doing your study for this, did you happen to decide as you were reading this, okay, this person has the black hat, this person has the white hat? So when you watch old school TV shows, uh, the good guy always has the white hat, the bad guy always has the black hat. And there's this clear delineation between the good guy and the bad guy. And I think a lot of people, when we we read the Bible, we look for the white hat and the black hat. So could you determine, when you're reading this, who's the white hat, who's the black hat? I wasn't even... I don't even know if that what that means. All right. Like, who's the bad guy in this yeah, story? That's, that's, who's, who's, well, who understand. is bad and who is good in this story? Are the story? people bad? Is God bad that's for sending snakes and biting and so forth like that? Yeah. And that is, a, 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 I, I think of it in terms of white hats and black hats, but, you know, people who are non-Christian or what have you, who do know a little bit of the Bible, say, well, why would God send poisonous snakes to bite these people could he have not done something else mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so that's a little bit of what I struggle with this is that you know like you said how does that make God look and, or, or the people like for example when you mentioned like the the people I mean we talked about this a little bit you know first of all if you listen to what they said they said we don't have any food or water but we hate the food we're eating 
Mm-hmm. That's so mm-hmm. typical. So yeah, apparently you do have food, right? Mm. <laughs> and in fact, what we don't realize is that prior to this, they'd complained before about not having water, and then they came to Mirabah, where God turned the bitter water sweet, and then they had uh, the situation where they were hungry, and God made manna, mm-hmm. and then there's the situation where, the, and we were laughing about this the other day, I love this passage in the Bible where they're complaining about wanting some meat. Mm-hmm. And God says, I'll give you so much meat, it'll come out your nostrils and you'll hate it. Yeah. And I was thinking about the fact that, you know, if you tell somebody, well, you get a prime rib every day, at first you're going to like it, but after a year, you don't ever want to see a uh, prime rib again. So you could look at them as partially the black hats. So, like you say. So has anyone ever, I don't know, this is maybe a, a millennial thing, but uh, my phone gives me the option to set up, set my own song as my alarm clock. Uh-huh. And uh, so I made the mistake of choosing one of my favorite songs. And now you don't want to hear it. And now I never want to hear that song again. <laughs> I want to know what that song is. You know, uh, I'll I'll play it. We could put it on the. Uh, we can put a clip on the on the podcast at some point. So we can figure out how to edit that in. But uh, share that. But yeah, I I never want to hear it again. And, and and this is the you're that's a that's a really good insight, Gordon. That like. They said we don't have food or water, but then they said we're tired of the food that we have. Yeah, so, verse five: the people spoke against God, uh, God, and against Moses. Why have you brought us out, out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we detest this miserable food. Mm-hmm. So it's like there's no food, but there's food right here in front of me. Yeah, mm-hmm. but there's no food. We just don't like that food. Yeah. So I've been working, volunteering at the uh, the the mass distribution site for the vaccine. Uh, here in Haywood County and already we only have three vaccines and already uh, folks are coming in and saying oh well I want the I want the Johnson and Johnson vaccine and I'm saying well we only have Moderna today and they're like we don't want Moderna we have to take two shots and it's like there are six billion people who may never get this vaccine who are just going to have to rely on like their community members to like practice hand washing and and social distancing and wearing masks, and like here we are, nitpicking about which vaccine we're going to get. Yes, I have the answer, but it better be the answer that I want. <laughs> so so we do this as human beings, whatever our context is, we do this where we get sick of what has been a blessing, really. What is a real blessing to have? So, so this this is an idea I'm just having right now. Having read these verses most of my life, and it just appealed to me. Am I sinful because I'm picky? Mm. So in our family, I do a lot of the cooking, mostly because I'm picky. But so is Christy, the wife to whom I am married. But we're picky in different directions. So a lot of times, and this has become less of an issue since we've had a kid and there's a distraction and we just grazed but I was making two meals every night one for me one for her and very rarely do we eat the same thing mm. because we're both have our preferences so does having preferences make me a bad person does no I think it makes you I think it makes you privileged though like you know if you if you only yeah if if there's only if you if the choice is between eating and not eating, you know, chances are I'm gonna choose to eat. Yeah. You're gonna choose to eat. Yeah, hunger is the best spice. Yeah. My friend would say. Let's, there, there let's are... change it a little bit. So let's say like you're, you're you're buying your food, you're making your food, but what if somebody you're poor, somebody comes to you and they all they give you every day is hot dogs. Mm-hmm. 
You see what I'm saying? That's different because that's that's God giving them the food and then not being happy with it as opposed to when you give me the hot dogs, I prefer them fried and he prefers them boiled. I don't think that's the same thing. Mm. I think what that, do you have against grilled, Gordon? Or grilled, either. <laughs> but, but you see what I'm saying? So when you're getting your food and you're making it, that is a preference. Yeah. But here the question is, they're not happy with the way that God is taking care of them. Yes. And they've grumbled many times about that. Given the fact that, and, and the, the, the really funny part about this is, is the direction, because this is really about direction. Are we looking at the flat, are we looking at the pole with the snake on it, mm-hmm. or are we looking back at Egypt? Mm-hmm. And the part that really gets me about this is, and this is a very human nature thing, oh, well, we had a better in Egypt. Really? You were slaves. Mm-hmm. And at one point when they were talking about the meat, they said, well, we got our food for free. Yeah, slaves get their food for free. It's not good stuff. Yeah. You know, uh, forget the conditions, and, and we will do that. So that your that euphoric recall, and what we talked about before this and everything like that. So for an example, you'll have a, an alcoholic who will come to a meeting, and then all of a sudden they'll have euphoric recall about the drinking and forget all about the misery that drove them into the room in the first place and everything, and they'll start thinking like, yeah, I missed the good old times. Really? What good old times, well, you know? <laughs> so let's slow down and back up there because there's a couple of terms that I that are and things that you said, Gordon, that I really want to hone in on. So direction, um, we need to revisit that. But uh, first, can you start off by like just giving a better definition? I think what you said is euphoric recall. Right. What does that mean? It means that when when we you know, at, when we when we re, when we remember something, we'll pick out what we want to read in other words like i said you know if i'm thinking about drinking or something i'll think about all the good times and the partying and i and we'll just completely forget about like mm. you know the the being sick and the no money and the, all that good stuff that comes with it yeah um, i think churches do that a lot let me back up and say i yeah. think church members do that a lot and collectively they, they do it as well but a lot of church members will assess the situation of the church now based on a time that they remember that didn't in actuality exist. Exactly. Mm. And a lot of times what I've found as I've explored this, because in every church I've I've served so far, there has been a distinct problem with this euphoric recall. And in most of the cases as I've studied it and, and unpacked it, it wasn't the state of the church at the time they remembered it that was so great. Mm. Their lives were better in the time they remembered it than their lives are now. Yeah. A lot of times it's someone who's maybe got health problems now, and they're remembering the church back when they were healthy and able to do stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, I remember back when I was able to play on a softball team, and you know, now I'm 70 and can't do that anymore. Um, but, but what comes out is it, life was just so much better then. Mm-hmm. And we don't and we don't associate these other factors with it, and so we selectively remember certain points that were good, and mm-hmm. we completely, you know, th- in my hypothetical situation, we completely leave out the fact that okay, well, that was also when my marriage was falling apart, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever it is for that person. This can be very toxic, yeah, to the point that, and this is why I asked the white hat black hat uh, question earlier. To the point that we can even long for the days when we were back in slavery mm. because we've tricked ourselves into thinking it was better. Yeah. I asked the white hat, black hat question because most Christians, I think, 
And I'm glad, Gordon, that you, you mentioned a non-Christian perspective, seeing God as the, the black hat in this. But most Christians would read this and say, oh, they're complaining. They must be the bad guy. Hmm. But it's so easy for us to be right where they were. Yeah. And we think it's preposterous to look back on being enslaved as the good times. But we do that with that, like you said, euphoric recall. We, we do the exact same thing that they were doing. I'm really glad you shared that term with us today because I have I've experienced that in my own life, um, even related to drinking. But also, I have seen it being used to manipulate people. I mean, if you look at uh, this, is something I started to notice when I was trying to start drinking, stop drinking myself. That if you look at beer advertisements. See, I didn't know this euphoric recall term. I was, but I, I came with my own term, which was false nostalgia. You know, like looking back at some time or 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 way of existence or uh, experience that we never actually experienced, right? So if you look at a lot of beer advertisements, will like have like a calm, placid lake with a wood fire going and some deer walking through the forest and the call of a loon i'm from minnesota so that's kind of what they go for you know like that up north rustic experience and then it pans and it says line kugel or what bud that's a wisconsin beer huh. <laughs> uh or bud light or whatever it is um and they but they're they're preying on that false sense of nostalgia or that like if you just you know if you just buy a six pack of this beer then you will have this feeling this euphoric feeling of like independence and everything is relaxing and you're out camping in the woods or whatever you know so they they prey on that and and so yeah i mean uh, i i've seen it i've experienced it and so i can to- i can totally identify with these people they're doing it to themselves though in this in this situation what's interesting if you stop and think about it how did they wind up in the desert in the first place they they cried out to God mm. to deliver us for 400 years. Yeah. yeah. And now they're out in the desert going, hey, well, we don't like this man or we're tired of it and we're done with the pigeon. <laughs> you mm. know? And, and it's funny. There's that, a... That's human nature. There's an, a, a show on HBO. Clarification, or I'm sorry, disclaimer... I'm not recommending it. I don't get paid anything by HBO to say this. Yeah, I, get, I don't get paid by line beer, of beer companies. <laughs> line, of <laughs> line of Google. Sorry. Anyway, I'm not saying I want to taste it, but I do want to Google it and see their logo and stuff. That is a fascinating <laughs> name. Anyway, there's a show on HBO called The Flight Attendant. Huh. And it follows this girl. And the premise of the show is she goes... You know, she's an international flight attendant. She's in all these cities all the time. She she meets a guy, goes to his hotel room, wakes up next to his dead body, and and was blackout drunk. So she's trying to piece together what has happened through the rest of the show. But in exploring that, it shows the inner workings of her mind. And she has this brother who cannot stand their deceased father and is angry at her. Seems to have forgiven her, but has some resentment at her based on the way that the two of them remember their childhood. And when she looks back on her father, she saw this great man who was always fun and great to be with and didn't understand why he didn't. 
and the reason was this euphoric recall. So she blocked out the times where her father would abuse her brother. Mm. She blocked out the times where her father would be negligent to the whole family. Her father had essentially turned her at like 11 or 12 into a drinking buddy instead of a daughter. Mm. And so she just associated these things with these fun times because she ignored the bad. Mm. Because she, well, let's not even say ignored the bad. She blocked out an honest and holistic assessment of their relationship to only insert these positive associations. Therefore, she goes and gets blackout drunk all the time. Therefore, she wakes up next to a dead body and blood and stuff. It was a violent, it was a murder. Anyway, so... Hopefully, that's not what happens every time someone gets blackout drunk. No, but I use that to bring up... Seeing that show has, has completely redefined my ability to understand this euphoric recall because they put it in such vivid and visual ways. Hmm. Whereas I understand it in concept, but having seen that, I can see how easy it is for us to do that. And I even started to assess my different relationships after I watched that. There's some things you see, like, you know, you watch the Truman Show, you're like, oh my gosh, are we on TV? You know, there's certain things that you see that make you rethink your life. Hmm. And that was one of them. And so having said all of that, getting back to the Bible, the cure, quote unquote, well, the first step that God takes is to send them a, this punishment. But the cure, getting back to what Gordon mentioned earlier, is about direction. Hmm. So where were they looking and where did they need to look? Well, can I add one thing before we kind of move on? Yeah. Stuff? Is that, that in, in our own Christian walks, we can be like these people. So, for example, God, God shows up in Egypt. We see this fantastic display of power. Mm-hmm. Where in their memories, right? Then he parts the Red Sea, kills Egyptian, the Egyptian army, feeds them while they're wandering around, so forth like this. And I can be like that, where it's like, oh, God, deliver me from this. Deliver me, help me. He does. Oh, thanks, and I forget about it and move on to the next thing until something else happens. Or we have this temptation also, after God delivers, to say, I'm glad I got myself out of that one. Yeah, all of a sudden, mm-hmm. all that's gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so when they're complaining, I can kind of see God looking like, oh, for crying out loud. <laughs> what is it with you, you know? Yeah. So, so speaking of direction, I want to go back. The direction, yes. To, to one thing you said at the beginning, just to, I guess, give this even more weight, which is that sometimes non-Christians might look at this passage and say, well, God is a, a bad person or a, a bad God. Bad be, being. A bad being because, uh, because God is sending all these snakes and, the, and people are dying as a result. But I want to say that as a, a Christian just starting off in my faith, that's exactly how I would have read this passage too. And so help me understand, you know, what you mean by like, a, I guess, where you go or where we, we ought to, how we, how we can understand this pack, passage as we um, have like a deeper understanding of our faith or, or, or how how we can like i don't want to let god off the hook here i mean sending poisonous snakes is bad so tell me how do we how do we make sense of this make sense of why the snakes 
and why the cure for the snakes, the, 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 the brass snake. So help me understand. Cure is actually amazing. But uh, the way I look at this, okay, so what, what's beginning to happen when you look at the story? Because in an earlier one, he talks about where God sent fire and it went along the edges. So people, as they're wandering, are starting to wander off. Mm -hmm. Or this camp isn't tight. The goal of bringing them out there is to make them a nation. Mm -hmm. Okay? Under God, so to speak, or under God's control. So, you know, my first reaction, too, is when I read these serpent stories and stuff like that, how do... Because this is really about God's hesed, God's steadfast love. So the way I like to portray this or think about this is, let's say God did nothing. Mm. And they just let them just wander off on the edges. And let's say some of them decide, well, we're going to camp here. We're done. We're not going any further. Mm -hmm. Or they come to the next town and they say, we're just going to set up house here and everything. Mm -hmm. So he's got to keep them moving. Well, you think, well, the snakes is pretty radical. So uh, how can that be? Well, if my kid, when she was little, started to run on the road, what was my reaction? <clears throat> Don't you ever run in, you know? Uh, parents sometimes, I'm, you know, not advocate of spanking or anything like that, but sometimes you would have to spank a child. We talked about it the other day, you know. If I see my kid sticking a penny into the outlet and everything, sometimes maybe I need to let them do it. But then, you know, this consequences might be a little more severe, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Or I reach over there and I slap their hand and I try to explain to them, don't stick this penny in there. Right. So how could these serpents be a sign of God's love? Because they are... and. I'll give you a better example. The one we talked about the other day. Um, I left the church at 18. I said, you know, I got. I found a solution, right? All those doubt you shout knots and everything. I wanted to do all, most of them. Anyways, I don't want to murder anybody or anything like that. But, you know, and stuff like that. And so I came up with this idea. No God, no sin, no guilt. Well, here's the thing. So we moved this into a kind of a symbolic thing. But uh, these snakes are called seraphim in Hebrew. Does that sound familiar? Seraphim mm -hmm. Sounds like means seraphim. fire, fiery. When these serpents would bite, poison has a kind of a fire to it. So when I started drinking and everything, there was a little tiny part in the back of my head that said, you know, probably not the road you need to go down. How many times have I done something wrong? And then when I got out of it, I thought, you know, I knew I shouldn't have done that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think of that like the snake biting me. It's that little burn, that little kind of, I know I shouldn't do this. Mm -hmm. It's going to be bad. So when I got into my drinking and everything, and when I came into AA and stuff like that, man, I mean, my life was destroyed by alcohol. And so what's the first thing we do in Alcoholics Anonymous? What do we always talk about? Uh, drinking. Yeah, yeah. Gee, that seemed kind of weird, you know? Like this story, I'm sitting in AA going, I'm here to not drinking, and all we talk about is our drinking. Mm -hmm. But we talk about our drinking differently. Mm -hmm. It's what got me here. Mm -hmm. It's what almost killed me. I need to remember that. And so we hold up alcohol not as uh, something cool to do, not through euphoric recall, but because it led me to a point where, like the Israelites, I have to rely on God. The only thing that's going to save me is God. And so the, the serpent on the pole represents destruction and salvation. Hmm. You see what I'm saying? If it hadn't been for AA, if it hadn't been for alcohol driving me to AA, we got to say in AA, alcohol drove me to AA, AA brought me to God, you know? And so that's why we talk about it, because we want to remember the pain and the suffering. And then the flip side is, if you get somebody that's coming in and stuff, because we talked about Psalm 107 as well, the idea being is that, that we celebrate the, the, the power of God to free me from this thing, 
by remembering what it did to me at the time. And I don't know if I'm explaining mm. as well. Well, I, I get the idea of expressing love where it's needed sometimes requires us to do what others may see as harmful hmm. for the greater purpose of love. And, and an idea that comes to mind to make it kind of simpler is my sister-in-law has these two god-awful dogs. And I'm a dog lover. For, for me to call a dog god-awful is a big deal. Anyway, <laughs> but, you know, they claim to love them. And they put these uh, shot collars on them that is like attached to a little base it's a radius and so they can't go further away from the base than a certain amount of you know, space and when they first started doing this their daughter said oh that's so mean because it hurts them and Amy my sister-in-law was real quick to say what's more mean them getting a little shocker than getting hit by a car hmm. and I think about you know the snakes and the little voice you were talking about and recalling the painful memories that people have that that the drinking led to as that shock from the shock collar that it may be painful to go through that but it keeps you in some case it killed them but for the the whole organization with the snakes um it keeps you from getting out of the street and getting hit by a car which is obviously much worse than getting a little zap from a collar so go ahead. And I'm thinking about your earlier example, Court, with uh, from the TV show, in which the the woman who becomes the flight attendant um, isn't really accurately remembering the experiences of her father. Mm-hmm. And the truth is that um, neglect is not love. Correct. Right. And if that's the if that was what was going on in the family, um, that's not love. Right. Whereas, you know, and, the, and it's the same, it's the same, the same is true here. Like if we expect God to be a loving father, which is how scripture refers to God oftentimes, total neglect is not love, you know, and, and there is a, there is a goal for this people that God has a purpose for them, which is to craft them into a people who follow God, who are, who are holy, you know, who are obedient to God and, and not just because God is a, egomaniac and and wants people to worship God but because ultimately this is good for the people too this is crafting them into who they need to be Uh, and so that's super helpful for me in reading this scripture because it's we're only going to discover that God is the bad person in this story the bad being in this story if we start I think too late in the narrative if you go back and you read about the deliverance from slavery and, and then you read about the provision of food and water in the desert, then all of a sudden we start to see that it's not, it's not necessarily that, that God is evil for sending these snakes, but that the people are, are having difficulty remembering the way that they've been blessed by God and preserved by God all the way through. Mm-hmm. So that's what I love what you're saying, Gordon, about how in the space of Alcoholics Anonymous, you you practice a kind of remembering that is more complete so that you can see more clearly the past and make choices differently in the future. And I think that's what God is asking the people or help, trying to help the people to do here by sending the snakes. 
see the past more differently see the fact that you are complaining and your bitterness and your um, I guess self-righteousness selfishness whatever you want to call it um, that's gonna kill you that's gonna that's gonna turn you into some group of people other than God's people a people who who are lost so God says have some snakes this will do the job faster you know it's a merciful thing like if you're gonna kill yourself by running away from the only one who's providing for you why not just get it done with faster here's some snakes but that's not God's ultimate purpose the ultimate purpose is healing the ultimate purpose is crafting them into a people who are um, who are no longer enslaved either to Egypt or to whatever other gods that they were following uh, or to their own egos or sense of entitlement but they're free free people who worship God and are grateful to God so uh, speaking of the cure we had got we kind of got off maybe we didn't but we kind of got off the idea of direction I think when you think about the cure that God offers here it's easy to, to think well I thought they weren't supposed to worship idols what is this image of a snake and I, in my opinion the point is not the image itself the point is where it was where were they what were they called to do it they weren't called to worship it they're called to look at it mm. and in doing so they are turning back towards the center they are turning back towards God and not relying on themselves and if we want to shift to John there's a good tie in here but they're they've 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 shoved this thing into the middle of the camp and, and elevated it to where anyone can see it point being it's not what you do with this serpent it's where you're looking mm-hmm. and what focuses or where you are focused is the important part and I think direction is a huge part of this anything else we want to say on direction before we move on look how beautiful that is so a picture like a, like a circle and all, all the outside of the circle looking in towards the center, mm-hmm. which is supposed to be God. But I just wanted to add one thing really quick, too. Is like, you know, how many times have, like, I've been in, like, really bad. So let's say, let's say, you say, well, God, why did you send snakes? And he says, well, I made you promises. You didn't listen. So in other words, I've had situations in my life where it's like, how come you didn't stop? I don't understand. And he says, well, I whispered in your ear, mm-hmm. and you ignored it. Then I tapped you on the shoulder. You didn't know it. Uh, and so I'll say, why'd you have to hit me with a two by four? And I say, well, I tapped you on the shoulder. You ignored it. I had to hit you with a two by four to get your attention. Mm-hmm. Do I have your attention now? He has their attention now. Mm-hmm. And I want to add another thing. When you talk about the serpent, that is another we, kind of fascinating part about the story is we can then turn around and do the opposite and worship the blessings. So what happens is, we were talking about this the other day, is that when King Hezekiah cleared the, took over in 2 Kings and he mm-hmm. cleared the high places or anything, apparently they had taken his bronze snake and had placed it over the altar. Hmm. And he had to take it down because people were offering to the snake and had turned it in mm-hmm. to a quasi-represented, you know what I'm saying? Like an yeah, idol, yeah. We see this in the New Testament too with angel worship. Exactly. Yeah, same kind of thing. We take the agents of God's blessing and in our minds make them God. And it's easy to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you think about pr- prosperity gospel. People have taken the idea that God sometimes blesses us with the resources we need 
and made that the object of our worship, getting more blessings. And then one last really weird thing, because you guys know me, um, is this idea that when I'm going along, that God may be taking care of me, but I know better. So, you know what I'm saying? So that's why they're complaining. It's like, you're not doing it the way we want it. You know, we think that we should have caviar every day. Or we don't know what's... And yet God had promised... And, you know, when, when we talked about God being a mean, but all along he'd been telling him, like, I have a place for you. I got this land for you. It's going to be unbelievable land. And so forth. But again, and I think that, like, this ties in maybe with the COVID situation, is we have ideas in our head of what that promised land looks like. And then they get there, right? Mm -hmm. And they're like, this isn't what we pictured. we got to beat people up, and they're going to beat us up, and we're going to have to fight for it. I think the same thing with the COVID thing, right? We're going to come out the other side of this thinking we know what it looks like. And then complain to God because, well, this isn't what I expected. Yeah. Mm. Instead of being grateful. Like you said, I, I got a choice in vaccines, and I can shake hands again? Yes. Any yeah. preachers that are listening to this, remember that statement. <laughs> because I think a lot of us, most of us have probably had this beaten out of us by now, but by, the, by, by life. But I think a lot of us, when this started, thought, well, either things are going to go back to normal. Oh, thank God, I can't remember, wait till things go back to normal. Or people are going to miss being in my church so much they just beat down the doors to get there. <laughs> I, got, I got news for you. It's probably not going to be either one of those things. But something different, and uh, and that's okay. And we'll have to walk with God when we get there. So they raised up this serpent in the middle of the camp and had you look to it, and that I think is the tie-in to John. So if, is everybody okay if I read John? Yeah, go ahead. John three fourteen through twenty one does contain the most popular or least well known verse that I think exists in the world, but let me read it to you in in its totality. Uh, this is your hat say John 3.16? Nicely done, sir. Did you, you put that on just for us? No. I'm kidding. I've seen you wear it many times. If you're Baptist and you don't have this one memorized, I don't know what to do with it. Hey, that. you, a Methodist, do not get to sit in my office in a Baptist church and judge Baptists. I'm just kidding. You can judge us all you want. All right. John 3.14-21 says, And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that who, that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that they may be so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. The tie-in obviously being verse 14, and just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Okay, what does that mean, Gordon? <laughs> you know <laughs> actually this is uh, again about direction hmm. Paul I mean Paul I mean John constantly through his gospel is calling us to make that choice hmm. light and dark there's hmm. always this issue of, of contrast hmm. and white hat black hat exactly and, and, and the idea being that in the choice that we make we condemn ourselves and that it reveals our hearts but I think the idea here is that God 
instead of sending the poison snakes to bite us, took the poison snakes on himself. You see what I'm saying? Because sin is sin. But but anyway, so he, he takes... Well, what we talked about, real, uh, just do this really quick, I think that the snakes that, that, that came later, or today, is the law. Mm-hmm. And the law isn't necessarily to condemn, per se, but to keep us moving in the right direction, you know? But it became that, right? It doesn't cause sin, but it exposes what is there. Exactly. And, and it, 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 it's like that sting, you know? Like, ooh, you know? And stuff like that. When I tried to ignore the law, with, in my bad old days and stuff like that I'd still got stung because there's a part of me there was a consequence to disobeying mm-hmm. there was a spiritual consequence and sometimes a physical consequence to ignoring that and so forth which eventually the pain if I, if, if what I was doing before with all, all that stuff was working then I would still be doing it mm-hmm. but the pain got so great well what pain I didn't have any broken arms I didn't have any broken legs but my heart hurt like you can't imagine Mm. My spirit hurt because of this mounting poison in my system, if you will. And so coming in and so forth, it's like you see Christ and you realize he's taking that on himself. But if he takes that on himself, what keeps us from, you know, what's the sting? Well, there's still the law. He said he didn't come to abolish the law. Okay. You know? But if I keep my focus on on that again, he's, he's lifted up, and he, he he says, you know, I can sum up the law in two parts and so forth. He didn't. He was very clear. I didn't come to a, abolish the law. So you have that argument that Paul makes between grace and the law, and that they work together mm. in a very interesting way. But he doesn't say. Remember, he says, "Am I suggesting you go out and sin more that the grace is greater?" By no means. Yeah. What, what is the connection then between the snake and the cross? Because in, in the very first part of our John reading, it talks about just as uh, the snake was lifted up, so must the Son of Man. H- how, does the, how does the cross relate to that statue of a serpent on a pole? I think we have to let go of what we understand the cross to be as Christians in the 21st century and go back try to go back in our minds 2,000 years to remember that the cross was uh, was a, a shameful symbol. A torture device. It was a torture device. It was a shameful symbol. Uh, you know, to be hung on a cross was, a, was, was basically to be, to be guilty, right? And so it was, and that's why Paul calls it a stumbling block for Jews and a foolishness for Gentiles because... Anybody, you know, anybody who was found to be hanging on a cross was obviously someone who had done something terrible, heinous. So, like, the to to to, and we do this today too with our laws and everything. We think, oh, somebody who's ended up in prison or on death row, they must have done something terrible. Mm-hmm. But it turns out, you know, back then and now, the law can sometimes get it wrong. Yeah, right. Sometimes people are sentenced for things that they didn't do. And that's the case with Jesus, but we have to look at the cross and the condemnation of that object that comes along with that object and the death that is, uh, that is represented on that in order to be able to move past it, to be able to overcome that fear. Christ does that for us by turning our attention to it, just like the snake on the pole turned the attention of the Israelites towards the thing that was killing them. 
So when we look at Christ on the cross and we see uh, not just the shame, but also how the how the the system of power, the Roman power and the Jewish and the and the Jewish uh, priestly authority power combined put Christ on that cross uh, wrongly. We have to see that we had a part to play in that. Yes. And by looking at it and by pointing our attention on it, that's how God heals us from that. Um, uh, what's the word that my professor wants you? That, that's how God disabuses us of the trust that we had in the system that eventually put Christ on the cross. We used to trust that if we just follow the rules, that everything will work out fine. But Christ did, and he still got crucified. And we have to look at that and realize that we have a part in that. Yes, we do. That's, that's the failure of the deontological ethic system. I mean, okay, you're gonna have to explain that if we're gonna have that in the podcast. <laughs> right, wrong, good, bad. Okay. Yeah. So why did, for example, crucifixions were always done outside the city, mm. and they were done so as you come in, behave yourself. You mm-hmm. know, Roman law will prevail. The cross was a symbol of Rome's authority and victory. Yeah. You will lose if you go against Rome. You will lose, and this is what will happen to they you. They weren't usually wrong either. <laughs> and yeah. so. God takes the cross, Jesus takes the cross, where we are condemned by the law, mm-hmm. but takes the punishment for himself. And so the law is fulfilled, but at the same time, we see God's grace and love and that hesed, that mercy, which is what we look at when we see the serpent on the, on the pole. We're looking at our shame. We grumbled, we complained. But at the same time, we look at that same snake and see God's hesed and God's mercy. You see what I'm saying? So, something miraculous happens when Christ is lifted up. And we have to remember this passage here in John 3, 14 through 21. He's speaking to Nicodemus and trying to convince him of something that Nicodemus is having a very difficult time understanding. He's trying to convince his disciples throughout it. And the disciples, if we read the Gospels, they, they don't get it. They, they, they go from thinking they understand to... being pretty sure that they don't understand, to fleeing at the end. But Nicodemus is different. And I think that this is really insightful because Jesus and Nicodemus have these three dialogues throughout John's Gospel, or two dialogues, and then Nicodemus shows up at the end. When all the other disciples had fled, Nicodemus shows up to care for the body of Christ. So he doesn't understand it here in John 3. And maybe we don't even see him get around to making it a formal profession of faith. But he's paying attention. He's looking in the right direction. And that direction is the cross. He's looking at Christ, this person that he had a hard time understanding. And, and, and because he continues to maintain his focus on that, he's able to do the right thing which is to care for the body of Christ, even though he's been condemned to this ugly and disgraceful death. And for Christians today, we think that, or sometimes we convince ourselves that if we're Christian enough, that we, you know, that everything's going to be peachy, that we're going to get through life and nothing's going to go wrong. But that's not what the cross tells us. The cross actually helps us to remember better 
and to and to and to go through life with a with a better understanding of what's happening and to face death unafraid to face the memories of the experience that we've had without the rose-colored glasses the euphoric recall we can remember correctly and so we can be present in this moment correctly just as Nicodemus does by not fleeing the cross but actually remembering the person on it I think one of the critical things to what you're, you just said in drawing this comparison to Nicodemus to us is that often we get to a point where we assume that we have arrived as believers hmm. and what we lose in that is the pursuit to know our Savior, the pursuit to understand. There's so much valuable stuff there because it's you in a process to greater understand our Savior or life in general versus this idea that you've arrived, that you have solidified your understanding of who God is. And that, at that point, you freeze. You don't grow anymore. But Nicodemus, unlike the disciples who fled, Nicodemus is not has not arrived, has not decided, okay, this is who I'm going to follow, and so he's in pursuit of understanding. Hmm. And so he has a potential to grow, whereas they have not. They have stunted their own growth. And perhaps that's, I don't want to say what's wrong with, but perhaps that's something that affects Christians today. We have decided that we have, you know, the seal of the cross upon us. We are official, and, and our growth stops. Hmm. Whereas in a quest for understanding God more in this pursuit to get closer to Christ or this just will it, a bit, eh, ability to admit that we don't know all there is to know about God then there's potential to grow beyond that which can affect those who are quote unquote believers no I just you can edit this out later anyway, but I just started a Bible study on Revelation mm -hmm. And I start out by saying, look, you know, we got we got this weird thing. We want to crack the code book. Yeah. I said, you will ruin Revelation. Yeah. Leave the mystery in. You have to. Leave the lack of understanding. Yeah, but you get these people, they got charts and graphs. And I can tell that some of these people in the Bible study want me to crack the code. And they said, we're not going to crack the code here. This is designed with symbolic language to speak to us in certain ways. So, for example, you might have one experience, I might have another. But leave room for the mystery because the minute you think you've cracked this book, it's useless to us. Yeah. It's absolutely useless. Now I just want to and you can edit this out as well, but but when I mentioned the name of the of the snake, the, the Hebrew word seraphim, yeah. And stuff, fire. Fire burns, fire destroys, fire also purifies. Mm -hmm. And so at Pentecost, what comes down? How is the Holy Tongues Spirit? Holy Spirit is portrayed as fire, which we look at that and go, "Oh yeah, speaking in tongues." But no, we have to remember, fire burns and fire purifies. Mm -hmm. And for you know, sometimes God has to do things to get to purify us, to get our attention, to to open us up to that, so that we can then be purified. So, in other words, if a person has a drinking problem and they don't think they have a drinking problem, you're going to waste in your breath. Mm -hmm. It's until they realize that, yeah, I'm a mess, that they're going to be open to possibilities. I want us to, uh, I don't want us to end this podcast without giving you, Gordon, an opportunity to share information about Alcoholics Anonymous oh, cool. with anybody from the community who might feel like they're, they're ready to talk about what's going on in their sure, life. Absolutely. Um, and, and I just have to say personally that when, that the experience that you've shared in part here and in shared in greater depth with us as a group has been 
um, really powerful to me, the, the testimony that you've given. And um, so I'm grateful for that. So thank you. And, okay. and so for folks who are listening, who know somebody who, or who maybe themselves are starting to realize that they're, they have a, a problem and they, they want to do something about it, what would you say to them? Well, you know, and, and this is that's a good question because at, with the COVID thing, it kind of, it well, like everything else, it really blasted the community. So we were, some meetings were on um, Zoom and all that other stuff, but there, I, and I'll be honest with you, Zoom is good and I used it and I could have people at the meeting from Maine to, you know, people that were on the Lucky Lusa beer or whatever that stuff was. Uh, but was but it's not, AA, it's like church. It has to, it has to be that human to human contact. So where I'm going with that is it kind of blew the meetings out here. We're starting to come back together again. So if people are interested, they can go to the Canton First United Methodist Church Friday or Sunday night at seven. We have a face-to-face -face meeting there. Uh, we have noon meetings at uh, Monday through Friday at uh, First United Methodist Church of Waynesville on a over there on Academy Street uh, at noon. And then we have Monday, Friday, and Sunday at 7 o'clock at the Maple Grove Church they can go. And then there'll be a 5.30 meeting starting this week. So, so Monday, Wednesday, Monday, Friday, and Sunday, 5.30 and 7.30 at Maple Grove United Methodist Church. And uh, so we're starting to come back and so forth um, because it, I think a lot of people... We're worried about it. I think a lot of people stopped coming to meetings, uh, started going to the edge of the camp, yeah, and are maybe feeling the snakes and need to come back and stuff like that. So we're in the process of reconstituting because prior to COVID, there were there was a lot of meetings. I could have told you all kinds of meetings, but that's what we've got going right now. Okay, thanks. Well, we'll type those up and get those out in cool. the in the comments so that if folks who are listening want to participate and go in that direction, uh, we hope you, we hope that you can do that and find a community that is willing to support you. Well, that's our show for the week. I'm Peter Constantian. I'm Court Green. I'm Gordon Pike. Thanks for joining us. And uh, as always, like and follow. Give us your comments. Share with, with us what you loved about this podcast or what you want to hear more of. Uh, we want to be a resource to the community, and we're so grateful for, for you for listening in. So we hope you have a blessed week. Thank you very much. Thank you. Peace. Shalom.